This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show! Uh, not a whole lot. Ronnie's not going on. Nope. Slacker. I know. How lame. Slacker. No, he had a, uh, a family emergency, so... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds yeah. bad. Yeah, it was pretty serious. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Immediate family? Uh, yes. Immediate family. So he will not be joining oh. us. That's okay. It's okay. See, normally, we would try to find a fill-in. The problem when we do that is, whoever you try to fill in for gets a big head... You know, because like we try oh, yeah. to, we, we do a call out for like somebody to come on and you get like five people that want to go on the podcast. So, of course, you can't say no. So you have five people on the podcast yeah. and then they're like, oh, you needed five people to fill in for me. Yeah. Well, guess what, Ronnie? Not happening. So are you recording? Oh, yeah. Jeez. How about some warning? Dude, I'm always recording. <laughs> I'm always recording. You're like, uh, your life is just a ongoing movie. What's that? Uh, the Truman Show? Jim Carrey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you? <laughs> that is me. <laughs> I hate Jim Carrey, though. He's not my favorite. No? No, no. Oh, man. You grew up in the 90s, right? Yeah. So I, I liked In Living Color. Yeah, that was awesome. That's How could you show. grow up in the 90s and not like Jim Carrey? I like his serious roles. I don't like his comedy stuff. What about uh, Ace Ventura? Nope. No? Nope. Liar, liar. Nope. No? Nope. Not at all? Not at all. Not at all. Um, I like Ace Ventura as a movie, but uh, I don't like Jim Carrey. Like, every time he's on screen, I'm like, ugh, God. Well, I mean, that's like... Ace Ventura, that's like 95% of the movie. <laughs> Is he just too like over the top for Yeah, you? He, he's too over the top. Like, it, it was fine in, uh, in Living Color because they were just skits. But to see him do the <laughs> same thing for two hours, just like, no. I, I just can't. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's too much. Too much. I mean, I, I used to like uh, Ace Ventura and Liar Liar. What's the other one? Dumb and Dumber? Um, but just as I've gotten older, I just can't stand them. I couldn't do Dumb and Dumber for some reason. Yeah? I loved Ace Ventura. I loved Liar Liar. But Dumb and Dumber, man, I, just, I never could get it for some reason. <laughs> Maybe it was the other guy. Yeah, it could be. Uh, was it Jeff Bridges? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don't what about uh, Chris Farley? Um, Chris Farley was okay. So you don't like comedians that are over the top, that are just extreme... Yeah, it's like uh, Will Ferrell. I have yeah. an issue with a lot of Will Ferrell movies for that oh, same I, reason. Um, but there's some that I love. You know, like I love Step Brothers. Um, I love Talladega Nights. Talladega Nights is probably like my favorite yeah. Will Ferrell movie. Talladega Nights is the only Will Ferrell movie I think I've ever really liked a lot. I, I don't get his comedy for some reason. He's not funny to me. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. But that movie was hilarious. <laughs> Baby Jesus. <laughs> Dear sweet... Pa- or what is it? Eight pounds, sweet baby Jesus. Yeah. He's yeah. a grown man. He had a beard. <laughs> uh, cracks me up. Yeah, I love that movie. It's great. 
Um, what's what's the other guy? Uh, crap, he used to be on The Daily Show. Oh, Stephen Colbert? Yeah, uh, no, I like Colbert. Uh, Carell, Steve Carell. Uh, you like him? No, I don't He's like okay. him either. No? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're it, picky, man. You're yeah, it's weird. Like, I'm not a big comedy guy, you know? Yeah. So, um, and then, like, his... His serious stuff is just like way too serious, like overly depressing serious. Yeah, so I, I don't <laughs> yeah. like that. How about Adam Sandler? Um, I used to love Adam Sandler back in the day. Like uh, Saturday Night Live, Adam Sandler. Yeah, like even the yeah, first few a, movies were good. Yeah, that was the which ones? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The those first were, few those like, were awesome. uh, like Happy Gilmore and things like that. Yeah. But then he did what was that when he did Zohan? I was like, nope, I'm done with this guy. Remember, remember the Zohan? He was uh, an Israeli oh. spy. I don't know if I saw that. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. After that, I was like, nope, no more. We Mr. When when I first got married, Mr. Deeds was like our go-to movie. I don't know why but we watched it oh, probably yeah. twenty times. That's great. That's a great movie. Yeah, that's a great great movie. Well, yeah. let's get rolling. Is this the '90s comedian movie podcast? This is the '90s comedian movie podcast. With Jack and Martin. Uh, <laughs> we were doing an Aftershock podcast, but we fired Ronnie and then just changed the topic of the podcast. Right. And everything went out of control. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's generally what happens. <laughs> this is uh, Aftershock Central podcast, uh, episode five slash six, if you count the missing episode. Right. And uh, tonight we will be discussing a brand new book. Actually, I guess it, really you could say two brand new books because one of them is fairly new. Uh, yeah. We're going to be talking about Animosity that just came out, Animosity number one. And we will be talking about issues one and two of The Revisionist because that also just came out. Yep. Um, I guess the third issue is coming out at the end of the month, fingers crossed. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Two, two, two good books. Two two very good books. Which one do you want to get do first? Um, jump into animosity. Everybody's talking about it. Yeah, everybody's talking about animosity. Let's do that. My dog's trying to knock all my stuff. Yeah, man, you want me to tail. do the uh, recap? Yeah, go ahead. Might as well. Oh, I don't know. Does he have a tear in his eye? <laughs> no, he does not. <laughs> Uh, yeah. All right, so let's do. Um, I'll do a, a create a roll call, and then you can get into the uh, into the recap. So, animosity okay. is written by Marguerite Bennett, and yep. art by Raphael De La Torre, colors by Rob Schwager, which, by the way, that's the greatest last name ever, yep. and letters by Marshall Dillon. So, yep. take it away. Cool. So this. This is a very interesting book. It opens with an exterminator scene where there's an exterminator and he's walking around a veterinarian clinic with a veterinarian, I assume. He has on the lab coat and everything. And they're talking about how morality has aesthetic standards. For example, if you find a mouse, they'd like to, you know, they might sell mouse, put it in a cage for your kids because they're kind of cute. But... If you find a rat, it's ugly, so you want to kill it. And that's why this exterminator is at this veterinarian clinic. They got a rat problem. So they're walking around. He finds the rats. They're inside of a wall. 
And instead of him killing the rats, the rats jump out of the wall, attack the guy. There's blood everywhere. With the rats are saying, bastard, or rat bastard, die, bastard. <laughs> and that's the, like, page. It's um, very dramatic scene. So then after that, there's a pa- an interesting page with has a uh, uh, that's quoting Genesis from the Bible, Genesis one twenty nine, about how God gave all seed bearing plants and beasts of the earth to humans to care for them, um, and it's and it has like a bloody paw print or something <laughs> on top of it, and then there's all these like numerical stats about how um, about how many animals there are on Earth. And they break it down into elephants and cheetahs, 8,000 cheetahs and, and 20,000 polar bears. And the total number, it says, is 20 quintillion mm-hmm. compared to just 7 billion hu- humans. But at the very bottom, it's kind of interesting, it says, and since we got all this data from the animals, who knows? Maybe they're effing liars. <laughs> so I guess maybe that implies that... Uh, We'll soon see like a total takeover by the animals. Sure, maybe. Yeah, we might have theories. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's where it's going. But oh, then it says mostly what we know is this: um, one day, for no reason, the animals woke up. They started thinking. They started talking. They started taking revenge. And then it goes into these three pages of these like uh, square panels. And this was actually my favorite part. I think of this whole book yeah um i thought it was done really well but it's it's six page or yeah uh no three pages of the animals kind of waking up uh and there's no words at least in the few panels but there's like a a a dog laying on a vet's table sick and there's a cow about to be euthanized by his owner there's a cool there's one interesting panel there's a couple laying in a bed with a cat kind of sleeping in between them but the couple's kind of facing away from each other, mm-hmm. like they're they just had an argument or whatever. Um, and then there's some other interesting scenes. There's a rooster trying to get it on with the chicken, <laughs> and all these are significant, but you don't know why it's there when you first read it. And then there's for some reason, and I, I still don't understand this, but there's like a guinea pig, a, a huge guinea pig, and he's like eating smaller guinea pigs. I guess do guinea pigs eat their babies? Is that a thing? I don't, I, you know, that's a good question. I should have looked that up. But this one apparently does. <laughs> <laughs> so then, the, I mean, you could, then the next page, the uh, animals are slowly starting to wake up, and it's like they have this weird look in their eyes, like, what am I doing? Why am I doing whatever it is I'm doing at this moment? And then the next page, they start talking. And, like, the cow says to the owner, or to the guy that's about to euthanize him, he says, uh, you don't have to do, please, you don't have to do this. And then the one I loved was the couple that was sort of uh, sleeping apart, like they were had been fighting or whatever. Mm-hmm. The cat that was in between them is on top of the guy with his claws out, right in his face. And he's saying, if you ever hit her again, I will cut your effing eyes out of your skull while you sleep. So something was going on there. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's deer saying, kill them all. And, I like uh, the pandas. Pandas, pandas. Oh, now what was up with that? Now all of a sudden the pandas. There was a scene with pa- cute pandas like doing their thing, and now in this scene they have guns. Like I guess they took the people's guns and they're killing another panda. It looks like. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of, this is part of the humor of the book. I'll, I'll get to this in a little bit. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I want to talk about that because I'm not sure I <laughs> I understood the humor at all times. Yeah. Um. So then, after this, there's a full page of the of what I think is going to be two of the main characters of the book, and it's a girl named Jessie and her dog Sandor, and um, she was saying, oh, the dog is saying to Jessie. Oh, the dog said to Jesse right before this, I love you, Jesse. I just really love you. And then she's looking at, she's hugging him, and she's not freaked out by that, I guess, because she's a little kid. And she says, I love you too, Sandor. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sandor has a tear in his eye. Um, and then after this, sort of like all hell kind of breaks loose. All the animals are talking. There's like uh, uh, racehorses killing riders, and birds are throwing people off buildings. And um, birds start flying into Jesse's windows yelling, die, die. Um, and they're coming after her, but then Sandor sort of saves the day. He grabs one of the birds in his mouth and, and, and rescues her. And then he tells her family, you know, let's, she, he says, get to the roof. Um, which turns out to be a really big mistake because as soon as they get to the roof, a bunch of birds attack, more birds attack them. Um, <laughs> So Sandor's not the brightest dog in the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but they attack Jesse, and she falls off the roof. Uh, but then Sandor does his hero thing again, and he jumps off the roof after her, and he saves her by like crashing through a window in an adjacent building. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it seems like he saved her, but it's not all that good because Bagheera happens to be up there. You know who Bagheera is? No. You don't know Bagheera? Bagheera? Yeah, the tiger from uh, uh, um, from that movie. Uh, the one that's in the theaters now that's a remake of the Oh, old, oh The Jungle Star- Book. The Jungle Book, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. It anyway. was uh, a black panther in, in Jungle Book. Yeah, but Bagheera was the tiger, I think. No, it was a panther, dude. Bagheera was the panther? Yeah. Who was the tiger then? Oh, uh, crap. Uh, Shere Khan. Ah, you're right. Yeah. Right. Oh, well, anyways, this tiger. There's a tiger in this story. The building that they crash into, there's a tiger there for some reason, and I don't, I don't know why he's there. <laughs> and his name's not Big Era. I just went on a tangent. <laughs> but it's, this is a cool, kind of cool scene because Sandor, the dog, and the tiger sort of have words, and they're like doing their the animal version of your mama jokes, like the tiger's... Uh, calling the girl a flea <laughs> yeah like he's she is his flea and the dog tells the tiger that he's going to skin him and make him a rug mm-hmm. and then the tiger lunges at them and somehow sandor happens to grab a sword that's nearby and stab the tiger which i thought was a little weird because um dogs don't have like <laughs> dexterity in their paws but he <laughs> manages to get it up in the air and uh take care of the tiger and then that's that's sort of the end of the book, and it sort of ends on a, I guess, an emotional note with Sandor and Jesse hugging, and um, she's saying, "I got you, Sandor," and he's saying, "I'm yours, Jesse. I'm yours." So, so let me explain the the sword scene before we go back to the beginning of this issue, because I'll forget. Okay. Um, because I didn't catch it the first time either. Okay, but so the reason. This it, this is kind of weird. How the tiger ends up here, we don't know. Um, right. But the the 
penthouse that the tiger is in belongs to a guy who deals in like black market stuff is what I got. Um, so this guy had sold her cubs uh, on the black market. Okay. Um, my assumption is he deals in anything that's kind of black market, uh, including weapons. Anyways, this sword briefly appears like on part of the panel. It's on a table on display. Right. And so Sandor is on the other side of the table trying to go because they're going around this table. Yeah. The dog yeah. and the tiger. Mm-hmm. And so he's on the backside where the hilt of the sword is. And that's when the tiger lunges yeah. at him and the girl. And all he does is hit the hilt. And mm-hmm. so it causes the sword to kind of just pop up on the front yep. and stab yeah. the tiger. I see that now. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the way it's drawn is kind of weird because it shows his paw beside the, the yeah, sword. Yeah, right. Handle. Right, right. Like he uh, has some opposable thumb wrapped around the other <laughs> side or something. But yeah, what you're saying makes total sense. Yeah, I guess that, that part was a little confusing. Um, I guess let's go back to the beginning because I agree with you. I think uh, that that scene, the couple pages where it's broken down into, what what is it, nine panels, I guess, on each one? Yeah. Um, that's also my favorite part of this book yeah um and especially if you read it so i got this on comiXology and if you do the one page view and you just click you know left or right real quick or left and right yeah um it actually looks like animation which is really cool Uh, cool um so that was that was cool to see uh yeah 12 12 panels 16 panels 12 panels 12 panels and i love when comics can do stuff like this where there's no words and it's telling a story still Right, and I made that comment about Black Eyed Kids last week, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I guess the artist for this book was on Super Zero, which we haven't talked about Super Zero yet. Um, but I thought, artistically, I liked this style better here. Oh, yeah. I thought the art was great. Yeah, the, Especially the art, drawing all the... I mean, there's tons of animals in the, in here. Yeah, and it's not hard. Not easy to draw animals. Right. Right, and especially some, some more than others. I'm sure, like, a whale's pretty easy, right? Um, but I've always heard from artists that like doing horses or dinosaurs, things like that, are really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, because of the amount of muscles that right. are involved. Uh, and, and and this like there's a lot. There's seriously a lot of animals. I mean, there's maybe thirty animals in this book. Oh yeah, at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these these scenes are really cool. The one the one with the dog, which is kind of okay. Like, so the dog's probably about to get euthanized too, was my assumption at the vet. Yeah. Um, same with the cow, except the cow like knows what's going on, so she's like, "Please don't kill me." Yeah, you don't have to do this. Yeah, you don't have to do this. Uh, yeah, the one with the cat was, I think, the one that jumped at me the most, mm-hmm. because you definitely don't see that the first time you see the panel, even though they're right. not facing each other, they're in the bed together, and the cat's kind of hanging out there. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, <laughs> there's some kind of uh, spousal abuse, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of interesting to see. The uh, the sloths. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the sloths are up to. They're... That's exactly the point, right? Like there's <laughs> nobody knows. Right? <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> and I'm trying to think what what other one kind of stood out at me. Um, yeah, like the one with the deer was kind of cool. Uh, and you know, both of us live in the south, so we we've been around deer quite a bit. I, I've hit about five deer. Oh man! In my driving I've, life, I've had deer almost hit me. 
Really? We have tra- we have trails out in our neighborhood, and I've you know people run on them all the time, and I've been out there running, and had a deer lunge across the trail, literally oh about God. six inches from me. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, crazy. See, I've never had one that close, just on a car. Yeah. Uh, but and that, that's always like the, the joke, right? Like <laughs> they're kind of doing it on purpose. Because for those of you that don't have deer near you, have haven't been around deer at all. Like as you're driving, they'll jump out in front of oh, your yeah. car and they'll just stand there and look at you. Yeah. Right. Um. And so I think that that's kind of what the joke was here. I thought it was pretty effing hilarious. But, um, same with the pandas. The panda one was a little weird because like at, <laughs> at first they're just hanging out eating. I guess they just eat bamboo shoots, right? Yeah. Um, and so the thing about pandas, at, well, let me let me go to the next thing. So they're in the, eating the shoots. And then the next panel, they're just kind of eating more shoots. And all of a sudden, they're holding AKs right. and, like, shooting each other. Yeah, well, it's the guns. It's the people that were at the fence in the panel. Oh, floor. that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they're, they're, like, taking off in the last panel. Yes. And, and the pandas are saying, why did you keep us alive for so long? Yes. They're, so they're just like, this is like a suicide mission for them. Yes. They're like, we're miserable. Well, it's it's not just that, like pandas are not very bright right like they they only eat one thing and they can't eat anything else like if you give them anything else they die of (laughs) of malnutrition like that all they can eat is bamboo um and in their natural like they're super slow they're very gentle and so in their natural environment like you can go up to them yeah and like threaten them and then they won't do anything like you know animals like if you threaten them they'll run away or they'll fight back pandas don't do that they're just like okay like i'm just gonna keep eating my bamboo right um and so the only way that they're pretty much not extinct yet is because of conservation efforts in zoos um and so i think that's kind of what the joke is here yeah you know like they they've just been trying to kill themselves for forever yeah but people just won't let them because we they, they're, they're like the process of evolution should have done this a long time ago <laughs> right exactly exactly good catch um so it, it's it's a good contrast too because like you get like a not very serious panel and then a slightly serious and then a very serious and then like a joke panel yeah at the end um same thing with the second row with the pandas are and the last one um i, I found pretty funny too the one with the rooster and the chicken like the rooster's trying to oh, hump, right. hump the chicken, and yeah. at the end, all the chickens, chickens are like, enough. kill the roosters, you know, like no more roosters. Right. Um, so that was cool. And the the, the orca, the killer whale at mm-hmm. SeaWorld, um, is kind of in love <laughs> with the trainer. Yeah, and that's, that's what I like. That's what I kind of liked about this when I first read it. I thought it was interesting because this is not like that show Zoo where all yes. the animals are just aggressive and after people. Yes. These animals kind of have the uh, uh, perspective that you might think they would have. Like, dogs seem like they love their owners. And in this story, the dog loves her, loves his owner also. Mm-hmm. But rats naturally would hate exterminators, so they want revenge. Absolutely. Um, you know, this whale, whales are pretty smart. And I oh, guess yeah. it's, yeah. So, I mean, not all the animals are aggressive. Yes. The ones that you expect to be aggressive, though, are aggressive. Right. And I like the cat also because the cats, you know, they're sort of like they could go any way, either way. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're always sort of suspicious animals. Yes. Right. But you know, and you kind of let them like walk all over you. <laughs> and they, you know, they don't they don't care. They just do it anyways. Right. Right. Exactly. 
exactly. That's how this cat is. He's like, you know, I'm watching you. Well, I, I've read some stuff on cats, and apparently, like, even though we see them as pets, like, they see us as their pets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. And so it, it totally makes sense here, you know? Like, he's guarding her, because like, that, that's her. That's the cat's pet, right? right. The wife is, is her pet, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, the one with the hamster, <laughs> like, it, it shouldn't be funny, but it was funny. Because in the first panel, the hamster is eating a baby hamster. Yeah. In the second panel, he's just kind of hanging out there. I guess that's when the wake well, happens the se- in the, the second panel. Yeah, the second panel, he's like, wait, what am I doing? Right. And then in the third panel, he's once again eating <laughs> baby <laughs> hamsters. Right. Um, so this is also a thing with hamsters, apparently. Yeah. Um, I, I looked it up as we were talking. Apparently, uh, hamsters are like constantly fertile. So as soon as they have a litter, like they can already get pregnant. You know, a lot of animals can't can't do that. Like, there's a, a waiting period. Yeah. Um, and if if a hamster has like consecutive litters, uh-huh. they become malnutrition, and as a result, they may eat some of the newborn okay. hamsters to regain the nutrition. Jeez. You're never going to look at hamsters the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then you, so you get that scene with the dog, which is really cool, and then it goes into that full page. Uh, right with the dog and the girl hugging yeah um but yeah. Then the the rest of the book goes by super fast it does it felt like a really fast read from there on but a lot happened a, a lot does happen um and you get some interesting insight into i guess how people are dealing with it you know because um, at first the girl is at home with her mom and the dog and like she's trying to tell her mom that the dog can talk and she's like yeah, yeah, yeah whatever right yeah. you know like because kids do that, right? So of course you're just like, okay, let me let me pander to you, right? Um, and that dad walks in and says like, we've got to get the hell out of here, get get away from the dog, like animals are killing people. Um, yeah. And you you get that cool scene of the birds breaking through, which reminded me of the movie The Birds. Have you ever seen that? Oh yeah, it's been a while. It yeah, it's a super old movie. I think it's from the 70s, maybe 60s even. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really reminded me of that and. Uh, just all the animals are going crazy, except apparently the dog and I assume it's the neighbor's cat, because um, the cat's telling Maul to go up the stairs and go up to the roof. Oh, I thought the dog said that. If you go on that uh, that splash page, after the birds break through the window, uh-huh. the third panel, you'll see the cat uh, okay. on the staircase. He's like, let's all go upstairs. Okay. Which I don't see how that would help because all the birds are the ones yeah, attacking, it, right? Yeah, it was a total mistake. Yeah, yeah. Don't uh, trust your pets. But then you get some uh, and some more cool panels of animals waking up. You have the, the killer octopus. <laughs> that yeah. was awesome. Yeah, that was good. Tokyo Ghost Sushi. You're right. Um, then you have the horse kicking the police officer. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't get like kind of. Oh, what I thought that, that was, was that's a police officer. Yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought that was like I thought it was like a, a horse race or something. That was, you know, the you know how the riders they ride horses and they constantly like whipping oh, up. Oh yeah, yeah, I gotcha. No, 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 it's a police officer. Yeah, you're right. Uh, they're on Broadway and Fifty Third, so it's right outside of Central Park. Yep. Um, and in Central Park, they patrol on horseback. So like, I don't know why the horse is so mad. I don't like, know. I didn't get that. Like, he's a cop, so, like, I don't know, whatever. Uh, and then the thing with the two birds, <laughs> where, like, the, the 
female bird is like, I'm going to leave you because I just I don't want to have kids. <laughs> right. And the eggs are in the nest. So, like, yeah, so is the, is, is she intentionally trying to be humorous? Because this is not a, like a funny story. Right. But it, there's, it's, it's weird the way it's written. It's not like a, um, um, Rough Riders where there's clearly funny things happening in an action story. Mm-hmm. This is like sort of a weird, demented, supposed to, I mean, it should almost be like a horror story. But it's tinkering with humor in so many places. Well, I think the thing when you have animals in a story, and this actually came up in, in a private chat earlier today. I was talking to Paul and uh, our good buddy Rob Krieger about some books. And, uh, you know, like Paul reads a lot of animal characters, God comics. So, like the turtles, Usagi Yojimbo. All right. Um, and so Rob made kind of a joke about it. But then it got into a conversation where, you know, having animals as a protagonist in a book gives you kind of a wider range of options on the type of stories you can do. Um, because, you know, partially, like, they can serve as allegories for actual people and personalities. Um, and even, like, you know, real-life people uh, where, like, it might be kind of cheeky to put, like, Donald Trump in a comic, right? But if you have, like, a cat with a fluffy hair, like, it might, it's not so cheeky, like, you know? You, you see what I'm saying? Um, it's like uh, you've read Animal Farm, right? Uh, I don't think so. What? Animal Farm was mandatory reading for us in school, so um, I've read it several times. And all the main characters in the, in that book are animals, and they all talk. Right. Um, and it is an allegory for like you know communism and a few other things. Um, but because you're using animals, it kind of separates you from directly relating to these people because they're animals and so it's more about the story and you know the message of what the writer is trying to convey than about the characters themselves i see okay so i kind of have a hard time with that because i've at least i can't remember any tv show movie or, or anything i've ever read that had talking animals in it that wasn't anything but humor. Okay. And actually, when I read this, it was sort of, I mean, there was places where I knew, okay, this is not supposed to be funny. Like the emotional scene with the dog, when, like, at the end, or when they're telling each other they, you know, they love each other. But when I see this big dog talking, I, I just couldn't help it, but I kept reading it in the voice of Barney. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's. I know this is supposed to be emotional, but I'm thinking, I love you. <laughs> and or there could be like a gory scene, but you know, if there's a bear talking, my brain is like, hey, it's it's smoky. And sure, and, sure. And, and even Jay, we were talking on the Slack channel, said that when he saw the horse scene, he totally expected him, a, you know, a panel or two later to be like, hey, Wilbur. <laughs> You know, so I was like, it, it was it was hard for me to read the the serious parts of this without imagining like a totally hokey animal voice or something. I I totally get that. I totally get that. And I had the same thing. Um, but you know, like the the things that they're dealing with in the animal panels are, I mean, some of them are just inherently funny, right? Like the hamster thing. Yeah. Um, but like if you had a panel of a woman eating her baby, that wouldn't be funny. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, right. Right. 
or like the one we just talked about with the two birds where she doesn't want to have uh she doesn't she was going to leave them and that she doesn't want to have the, the mm-hmm. babies anymore like yeah. if that were two people that'd be a super serious story sure you know about a couple that just kind of doesn't get along anymore but because it's birds you just kind of don't see it that way and it's kind of humorous because you know it's true and you know that this kind of thing happens um but it separates you enough where you (laughs) you don't feel ashamed to laugh at something like this yeah you know it's like it's like the way the comedians do jokes you know a lot of their jokes are like super serious um but it kind of gives you a release because you're kind of like oh yeah this person gets it too like haha that's funny you know like there used to be a lot of comedians back in the 80s and the 90s that had like you know the fall down comedy, um, and I guess you know we were talking about Jim Carrey earlier. He's he's kind of in that somehow, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, where like you know they get hurt or like they fall down and that's funny, yeah. um, but like I mean it's it's falling down funny. Like if you fall down, that's not funny, you know. <laughs> It's funny to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to everybody else because they're not falling. Now, see, I had the same problem with Jim Carrey that I have with this is when he started doing more serious roles, I kept seeing Ace Ventura when I would watch those movies. Oh, interesting. I kept wanting that. I'm like, okay, it's coming, it's coming, but it's, I knew it wasn't, but yeah, it was hard for me to take, mentally take him out of that role. No, no, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. I gotta say that this dog is a total BA. Because when the girl falls off the building, he just jumps off, <laughs> grabs her, and they like fly through a window yeah. across the street. Like that's yeah. pretty badass. Yeah. Um, well, he had a he had a tone for like taking them to the roof and in the first place, right? Sure, sure, yeah. That's right. And he and he took out a tiger. He did take out a tiger. So yeah, man, he's got skills. Um. And it wraps up nicely because the last panel is pretty similar to the first panel when we meet these two characters. Right. Um, so that that was that was nice. That's yeah, ex- a nice way to bring it back to the beginning. Except now, and I assume this because of the cover of the of, of the main cover of this story, but I assume that now they're sort of on their own. Because sure. if you look at the cover of the book, it's just her and the dog. There's no parents or anybody else around, and there's predators all around him and she has a rifle on her back mm-hmm. so they're on a journey i guess maybe to reconnect her with her family man we are awesome at segways tonight we bring the jing carry back in the beginning now we're doing this so what, where do you think the story's going because i don't think at all this is how the book's gonna end up being i think this is just kind of like the intro and maybe next issue or by the end of this first arc it's going to be kind of like a flash forward where you go, you know, whatever, three months in the future, six months in the future, whatever, not very far. Hmm. Um, and see these two characters kind of living in this new world um, and try to deal with it. It gave me a, um, what was that movie with Will Smith? Um, oh, my God. We Are Legend. I Am Legend. All right. You know how when it starts, he's wandering to the city and like the city, all, all the trees have grown up and there's wild animals roaming around. Yeah. Um, and he's hanging out with his dog. Like it gave me that vibe. Yeah. But even if it doesn't like flash forward, it, I mean, these animals in one issue, they took over pretty fast. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it seems like pretty, pretty soon they're going to have taken, I mean, they're going to be on top of the food chain here pretty soon. Absolutely. I think it'll be fun. You want to rate this? 
So I'm gonna say a, I'm gonna say a three point five because that's what I was thinking before we talked about it. But now that we've talked about it, and especially breaking down those panels and the and, and some of the insight you had, I, I probably would I probably would bump that up to a four. Yeah, it's it, I'm actually gonna go the opposite because when I first read it, I gave it a four, but because it is only a first issue, I want to be really reserved. Um. You know what? I'll still give it a four. Never mind. I'm just going to give it a four. I, I really enjoy the book. Um, I think there's a lot of subtlety in this that a lot of people will not understand. And as a result, yeah. may not appreciate no. the book as much as they should. Sure. No, that so. was the that was that was uh, the problem I had with it. I mean, there's some clear there's some obvious things. I mean, she's definitely done her homework. Oh yeah. Uh, when you when you really go back and think about this, but if you just read through it once, a lot of that goes over your head, and you're like, "Man, I don't know if this is supposed to be funny, if it's serious, or, or what's going on here." <laughs> yeah, no, I agree, I agree. And you know, we we talked about this privately, and one of the comments was, "What did I just read?" Right. 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 So I mean, I totally get that, and I can totally yeah. see why some people would would think of that of this book that way. Yeah. Uh, plus the fact that it goes by so quick. I mean, I think there's only. 18 or 19 pages of story yeah so but you know what that's what we're here for th- that's right we're here to enlighten right <laughs> hopefully we did that we might have done the opposite we might have confused folks <laughs> even further who knows uh let's talk a little bit about the revisionist yeah um this there's only two issues out so we figured eh, probably pretty good to uh talk a little bit about it um, for those of you that have been listening from the beginning, this is totally up my alley oh, because, you know, it, it's total sci-fi time travel, love all that stuff. Um, it is written by Frank Barbieri, who I, I every time I say his name, I pronounce it differently. <laughs> um, but the thing that I remember him doing was, uh, five ghosts. Yep. And yep. I think that's what most people remember him doing. Uh, but mm-hmm. he also did, for all you Valiant fans, he was doing Solar for Dynamite. Ah, uh, cool. Um, so there's that. And he's he's done a few other things. I've read some of his RoboCop stories. They were pretty uh, interesting as well. And actually, this is the same creative team from Five Ghosts, not just him. That's correct. That is correct. Um, so the artist, Gary Brown, as you said, he was in Five Ghosts. Um, he's done some other stuff. He he had like a pretty wrong, uh, long run on The Massive for Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you ever read that. No. For those of you that haven't, it's uh, it's it's very interesting, and it, it ran for quite a while. I think like fifty plus issues, maybe more. Oh. So uh, yeah, it's a pretty interesting story. And let's see, who else do I have on the list? Lauren Affy on colors, Dave Sharp on letters. Yeah. Dave Sharp, <laughs> that man, I tell you, he busy. he he's super busy. Oh yeah. <laughs> He must do 30 books a month. Um, so I'll, I'll do a very brief recap. Okay. The main character here has the greatest name of all time. His name is Martin. So <laughs> Not to be confused with R. Martin, <laughs> a.k.a. Ferret Tim. A.k.a. Ferret Tim. Yeah, don't confuse. I am not the, the protagonist of this title. Uh, but so he is – well, when we first see him, he's doing – a revision, which we don't really know what it is, uh, but 
he kind of explains that it's sort of like changing history. We then fast forward, flashback. I don't even know. You can never tell with uh, time travel stories. (laughs) But I guess to the present. And he is in jail. And he has a very good buddy of his that's not very bright. Um, And he has a very good relationship with one of the guards. Whether that relationship is more than a friendship is kind of up in the air. At least it was to me. Um, But she's kind of trying to get him out of prison. And so as the story, as we're being told the story, the next day he's supposed to have a bail hearing uh, to get out. Yeah. And I think she's, I think he's helping her sort of uncover some illegal activity going on in the prison too, right? Yes. And that's kind of the setup for the story. Um, He's, he's basically a rat in the prison and some of the guys running these illegal activities at the prison are told that he's the rat. Mm -hmm. And so they want to kill him, of course. Um, There is a guy that they work for who I'm sure we'll get to know a little bit more later on because he only appeared in like one page of the book. Yeah. I assumed he was the warden. Well, I, don't know. I, I assumed he was the warden as well, but I don't know if you watched Orange is the New Black. I guess like oh, yeah. private corporations owning prisons is a thing. So maybe he is just like a super rich dude yeah. and part of his business is running prisons. Um, and he uses that part of his business to maybe launder money from some of his other endeavors. That's kind of the gist that I got out of it. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, and so he comes in. They grab Martin. They have this cop friend of his. And you know he kind of wants to teach Martin a lesson. The cop kind of gets shot in the head. So she dies. And... Martin kind of goes off back to his, his cell. There's a box in his cell. In the box is from. It says it's from his dad, correct? Or is that when he has the the vision? Uh, I don't think he said it was from his dad. I think he didn't know that until he had the vision. Okay, that's it. Yeah, that's it. There's nothing on the box. Um, yeah. So he has a vision, and his dad tells him, "Hey, like." You can time travel pretty much. Here's this cool stuff in this box. You need it or you're going to die. Yeah. Well, of course, he had, doesn't have a relationship with his dad. His dad's been estranged for, I guess, since he was a kid. And he takes mm-hmm. the box, throws it into the trash. Well, of course, like after dealing with these characters in prison uh, where they pretty much beat him up and are about to kill him, he grabs his box, puts on this gauntlet, and grabs whatever else is in there, I guess some grenades and some other things, Yeah. and tries to make an escape out of the prison, directed by his dad. Right. Calling him from the future. Or the past, or who knows. Well, there's this bracelet was in the package, and it seems like his dad can communicate to him whenever he wants to, but it's kind of dangerous to do that directly. Yes. But when he puts this bracelet on, I guess he's able to do it and control his... Uh, I, I guess he's able to see his brainwave activity or, or monitor him in, in, in different ways and, and do it a little bit more discreetly. Sure. sure. So with the bracelet, he escapes, and I guess he... We're, we're kind of getting the backstory 
out of order. Yeah. Right? Because it is a time travel story, as I said. Um, so we get some more revisionist stuff. He mm-hmm. he kind of lands upon these guys. <laughs> One of them is a, a Catholic priest who's some kind of gangster, apparently. Um his dad sends him to this church to get a cache of supplies and the cache of supplies is owned by this gangster priest mm-hmm. and uh, Martin gets beat up again, meets this guy named David and I guess we're going to spoil it all anyway. Uh, yeah. Meets this guy named David who tells him, Hey, you know, like it's cool. I know who you, like, I, I don't know who you are, but I know you're from the future. I'm from the future too. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he offers to fix Martin's bracelet because it's kind of not working. There's some burnt out uh, circuitry, and Martin goes off to wander around New York City in the 70s, mm-hmm. like a good time traveler. Yep. And uh, he he gets another vision from his dad, and the dad tells him that David is a traitor. He needs to go back and kill him, mm-hmm. or David's going to kill him. Yep. So he goes back to the warehouse where David is. And sure enough, David pulls a gun on him and tells him, you know, like, I know who you work for. Um, Gideon told me all about it. Who Gideon is, we, uh, I don't think we know yet. <laughs> nope. Um, Gideon told me all about it. They have a fight, and Martin stabs him in the eyeball with a screwdriver and kills mm-hmm. him. As that happens, you get uh, that little Wayne's World. Right. And the timeline resets. David's no longer in the warehouse. It's no longer a lab. It's like an actual warehouse. And all that's there is David's jacket. And what else? There was something else that was David's on there, no? I don't remember. I know it's the jacket and something else. And so Martin gets another vision from his dad and says, I'll tell you more about what's going on in the next issue. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. So thoughts on this story? Yeah, so so what I got from this is that the timeline is is fractured and it needs to be fixed. And Martin's sort of going through time on these various missions, and whenever he completes a mission, it makes a revision to the timeline in order to correct it. Mm-hmm. I think that's the whole like you know point of this 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 story. Yes. But I also have a feeling that Pretty soon, or at some point, it's going to get worse before he actually makes it better. <laughs> so this is sort of like a, a, the opposite of Ivar Timewalker, right? Yes. Like there's no chronological protection, whereas in Ivar, you can't change things. Whereas this guy's going through time with objectives specifically to change things, to fix something. Well, I don't think we know enough yet. I th- in, in, in Timewalker, I think they stated that very early on. That you couldn't change things, but I mean, you you kind of could. There were just some things that were set in stone. Um, and my assumption is that even in this book, there will be some things that are set in stone. My main thing with this book, where I think it differs from Time Walker, is it seems to me like here the bad guys might be the time travelers. Um, but again, we, we don't know because really the only real time traveler we know is Martin and he has no idea what's going on. Martin and, and David, but well, he's dead. we know David, but he's dead. Yeah. And supposedly he was a bad guy, but maybe he know, wasn't. Man. He seemed like, so when they had that encounter, when he came back, 
um, after his dad said, hey, you got to go back and kill him, he seemed like he knew who who Martin was, but Martin had just got into this whole mess. He's like, I have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. So they were sort of not on the same page. Right. So I think really the, the bad guy of this book seems to be Martin's dad. Right. Well, it's, it's hard to tell. It, it, it's hard to tell. But, but Martin was clearly like unsure. Right. I mean, he was, he's, I mean, he was debating mentally, like, is, is David the bad guy or my dad's kind of a jerk or, you know, and I don't really want to be an assassin anymore. And my dad's sort of pushing me to do that again. Mm-hmm. So it seems kind of up in the air. It is kind of up in the air. Um, I, I, I thought David was not a bad guy. I thought he was trying to get away from the, the bad guys. Yeah. Um, and the only reason he attacked Martin was because of who he works for, which is his dad. So that's right. why I assume yep. that his dad yeah. is kind of, True. you know, good point. Yeah. Um, maybe that's why his dad disappeared so early on. Maybe he's a, like a time bandit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, which that would be cool. They could do a rough riders, uh, revisionist crossover. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, time travel stories are so weird, right? Because you never like really know the rules. Yeah, you know, and there's so many different theories on how it could possibly work. Um, so they they could really pull anything out of anywhere at any time. So the issue two started by saying the very first panel it says Chicago 1983 now. Yes. So that means ni- the 80s is the present day for this story. Possibly. But see, when when he goes, when he meets David, and then he goes to wander around New York City, it's the seventies, yeah. and he he's talking about growing up in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, there's no telling. So maybe it's maybe the word now. Maybe we should read into that. I mean, I guess usually when you say when they say now, it usually means like okay, this is the current day current but, day but i think with this story because it's a time travel story it just tells you that 1983 now it's not a flashback to 1983 it, this is happening as right. you're reading this so like right now when you're yeah. reading this panel is 1983 he's in 1983 correct right now correct yeah that's why i love time travel stories oh yeah you know and there's so much to pick at um i'm really curious like where this is gonna go though like surely it's not going to be all about David and you know trying to learn about what's going on. I think at some point they've got to reveal why David's dad is doing this, why well, David is yeah. the chosen person. You and know? I have a feeling the priest and his little gang of mobsters are going to show back up again because they captured Martin and he like blacked out or whatever, and then all of a sudden David was there with them. So right. we don't know how did we get from that group to David. Right. I assumed when I first read this that David, you know, maybe rough, I mean, beat them up or something and, and did what he needed to do. But now I'm thinking maybe they're connected somehow. Very possible. Very possible. Um, yeah. There's some, it, dude, like, have you seen Looper? This gave me such a Looper vibe. Right. Yeah. You know, we're like they said criminals back in time. <laughs> and then eventually when you retire, you pretty much kill yourself. Yeah. In the past. Um, it gave me that vibe, um, but it's so cool. Like when they do the revisions and the timeline changes, uh-huh. you know how it gets so psychedelic. Um, I really, I, I really dig this kind of art style. 
you know. Um, I know when we talked about Second Sight, to me this is very similar in, in style to Second Sight, the artwork. Um, it's very rough and like rugged, and there's just yeah. thick lines and a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but it's also very simple at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it, it works really well for this kind of story, just like a crazy type of story. Yeah. Now, one thing I do like about time travel stories, um, like Legends of Tomorrow, the TV show, mm-hmm. when they would go back into time, they would take a little bit of, not not a ton of time, but they would take a little bit of energy to kind of explore that world that they were in. So people would be dressed a certain way and mm-hmm. and you were sort of injected into that culture. And they didn't really do that in this book. when Like he went back to the 70s. I really didn't see anything that made me think, okay, he's in the 70s. Um, yeah, and I, I guess he's only really... <laughs> I understand why they're, you know, they're they're telling a, a different story, but sure, sure, um, sure, sure. it would be nice if maybe they slowed down at some point and could do that. Yeah, that'd be cool. And I'm I'm glad you brought up Legends of Tomorrow. Spoiler alert: you, you did finish the last season, right? Oh, I did. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, it turns out that the the Time Masters are <laughs> the ones that have been causing all this ruckus the whole time. Right. Um. And of course, they they don't see it necessarily as a bad thing, um, because the way they explained it is, if it wasn't for this um, takeover of Earth, there would have been some alien invasion that like obliterated yeah. humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so as a time traveler, like morality is very different because you can see like the possible outcomes yeah. of what comes after, um, and this of course will apply here. Like right now, his dad. I think to both of us seem kind of um, maybe like a villain, kind of a villain. But, you know, there could be reasons why yeah. things have to be done this way. Yeah, that's always my favorite type of villain is is the one where you can kind of understand why he's doing the things he's doing. Yeah. Even though they might not fit into your society's box the way you think at the moment. Maybe he has some different insight into, you know, into how the world works. Mm-hmm. Time travel sort of opens yeah. up the door for a lot of that. Absolutely. So let's rate The Revisionist. Uh, I guess I'll go first on this one. I'm giving this a four, without a doubt. Um, I love the book. I love the art. I love the concept. I just want more. You know, like The thing about a book that you really enjoy is you don't want to wait four, five, six weeks for the next issue. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, I read this within the last like two weeks. So I'm really only waiting a month, I guess, three weeks for the next issue because the next one's out the 24th. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I, I really dug it. Really, really dug it. Looking forward to the rest of it. Yeah, I'll say 4.5. I, I, lo- I, I, mean, I don't. I, I have very little to complain about this book. Nice. Um, I mean, it, it was almost right up there with Black Eyed Kids for me. Wow. So I th- and I think it has ton of ton of potential. I agree. Can't wait for the next one. So next week we have uh, Black Eyed Kids number five we'll be discussing in length. I'm hoping that Ronnie will be back by then. Uh, we will also be discussing the first few issues of Jackpot, mm-hmm. which I know Jack really likes because oh, his yeah. name is in the title. Yep. And... That's all I care about. <laughs> Put my name in there and I'll buy it. <laughs> See, you've got Jackpot and I've got the, the Revisionist. Yeah. 
So that works out. Um, I guess we'll wrap it up. You can find Jack at Jack Sutherland. Ronnie is at Ronbar316. And I am at Geekvine on Twitter. The show is at AfterShockPod. And you can email us hello at NerdLegion.com. I guess until the next time, go read some more Aftershock. <laughs> and have a good night. Ciao.